Welcome to the Maria Liberati Show, where food meets art, travel, and life. So what does food mean to you? Well, stay with me. Today's special guest is Todd Cornell. He is an author and a consultant, and he wrote a book called In the Heart of China. You know, it's all about his experiences of living in another culture and learning another culture and experiencing life and food and the philosophy of life through this other culture. And I thought it was really interesting because it reminded me of one of my favorite authors. She's not around anymore, but her name was Pearl Buck. And if you, you can probably find books um, anywhere online from her, but her famous book that was turned into an Academy Award-winning film was called The Good Earth. And uh, Pearl actually went to China. This was way back, probably like in the 1920s, and experienced China. I believe her parents were missionaries. And she wrote this whole book on experiencing life there, which was so interesting. So you can certainly find the book, but you can also find this wonderful old black and white film. I'm sure you can find it online if you want to. It's called The Good Earth, and it's by Pearl Buck, a great author. And also, we'll be doing a guessing game. I'm going to try and guess where you are if you tell me what utensils you're eating with. So stay with me. So do you like guessing games? Well, if you tell me what utensils you eat with, I can probably tell you where in the world you are. So let me explain. When we think of eating utensils, the most familiar ones that come to mind are forks, knives, and spoons. Maybe chopsticks come to mind, but that's about it as far as common eating utensils. But we can't expect everyone in the world to eat with those four utensils. And they most definitely do not. Many countries utilize chopsticks while eating their meals, but just because the utensil shares a name doesn't mean that they're all the same. So Chinese and Vietnamese chopsticks are similar in size and have the same blunt point. Japanese-style chopsticks are generally shorter and taper to a fine point. The size of chopsticks for men and women often differ with women using shorter chopsticks. Nepali chopsticks are also shorter than the Chinese chopsticks, while Korean chopsticks have medium length with a flat rectangular shape. While most of these countries traditionally use bamboo or other wood to make the chopstick, the traditional Korean chopstick was made of brass or silver, and they were often ornately decorated. Lacquered bamboo chopsticks are common today and are found in more areas than just these Asian countries. Another Asian country, India, doesn't use a utensil like the chopstick or the common fork. Instead, most meals are consumed using the hands. While it might be considered impolite and dirty to use hands to eat a meal, it's very common in India. There are certain customs that must be adhered to while eating, such as using the right hand to scoop mix and eat the food, 
the left hand is used for cleaning the mouth, wiping the right hand, and even picking up scraps from the table. By using this simple method, keeping the food clean is easier and many follow this proper eating etiquette. If the food is not able to be consumed using hands, a form of flatbread can be used to scoop and to soak up the food being served. This type of flatbread is similar to what is used in Ethiopia. Ethiopians use a large piece of injera, I hope I pronounced that correctly, to serve a traditional meal. The bread is made from the grain teff, that's T-E-F-F, and it serves as sort of a plate and is also used as a scoop to bring food up to the mouth. While it may seem like an informal way of eating by American standards, it's very common in Ethiopia. There are several rituals that go along with traditional meals in this country, such as the thorough washing of hands before a formal meal. When the meal ends, coffee is a common drink that's served and allows for a social atmosphere. So in Thailand, spoons and forks are common and are used to eat most meals with the exception of noodle soup, where chopsticks and a flat bottom soup spoon is used. However similar these utensils might be to our own, they are not always used in the same manner. The spoon is used for bringing food to the mouth, while the fork is used for cutting and shoveling the food. Putting the fork into one's mouth is not a common practice in Thailand. It's as strange to us as our eating utensils are to them. This method is also seen in Cambodia and Laos, where the spoon is the primary eating instrument. To ensure sterility, cutlery is often served at the table in a glass of boiling water. With as many cultures and countries there are in the world, it should be no surprise that there are so many forms of utensils to eat with. Many countries share similar utensils, while other countries couldn't be more different. However, the reason for use behind the tool is the same, consuming food for survival. As humans adapt and evolve, so do our habits in eating utensils and manners are just two examples of the ways in which we have done so. By the way, did you know that Leonardo da Vinci is responsible for the invention of what most of us in the Western world use to eat our foods, fork, knife, and spoon? For more on the foodie in, in Leonardo da Vinci and recipes from some of his favorite places, get your copy of my book, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking da Vinci style and you can find that anywhere my books are sold on Amazon, on my blog marialiberati.com or on artoflivingprimamedia.com And today we have Todd Cornell with us as a special guest. He's a consultant, an author, a China specialist and uh, who also just about released a book called In the Heart of China, which I think is so interesting because actually, Todd, the podcast, actually, since I started my podcast, I've been trying to think of ways to get people to travel around the world without having to travel because many people have not been able to travel. So I think this is really interesting um, for us to travel, take a trip to China with you. And um, I guess, well, first I want 
wanted to welcome you and thanks for being here. Thank you. And so how did you well how did you decide to go to China? Well, in Chinese they would call it yuan fen and that means that that was sort of something that was already in the making in the universe and it just happened. It wow. just uh yeah, it it wasn't planned. It's uh-huh. just you know how everything just kind of falls in place and as exactly. long as you go along with with the natural progression of things then you end up where you're supposed to be and i kind of think that's what happened exactly that's so interesting so so the book in the heart of china is that a memoir an autobiography what's the how is the book um basically the uh the heart of china is a book that i've come to sort of have this desire to write around uh-huh. having lived in the culture for 20 years lived with the people speaking the language and reading the language fluently mm-hmm. so it puts me in a position where i have an understanding of the chinese people and their their world view their their universe view actually they don't have a world view they call it universe view uh-huh. and um just understanding who they are and why they are who they are mm-hmm. and there's so much there's so much and i don't like using this word but it's true there's so much disinformation about the chinese and a lot of it is centered around communism and so whenever we hear communists today we always think of china because that's sort of i think in a lot of ways who that is supposed uh-huh. to represent and the chinese have have a culture that spans 5000 years essentially and if we go back to the i ching or the the i ching as some people call it mm-hmm. it it goes back that long it goes back 5 to 7000 years it was pre chinese character uh-huh. and so the the i ching and the balance between the yin and the yang and and all of these things even geomancy uh-huh. it it's something that that expresses the balances of nature uh-huh. and so the chinese culture was was based in that and uh-huh. that has influenced their world view their mindset their thought uh-huh. process and their language including uh-huh. the 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 chinese characters uh-huh. so i just feel a need to try and express this to people and help people better understand the chinese for who they are and not for this little blip in time that we're looking at them you know for for them 5000 years is is their history for us it's uh-huh. 200 years and when uh-huh. we look at ourselves and compare ourselves to them they have things in china that you see on a daily basis that have been there for 5 700 years and nobody even blinks at it you know uh-huh. it's just uh-huh. it's such a different way of of experiencing life and understanding life so yes. i learned buddhism uh-huh. uh through the chinese language through uh-huh. a, a taiwanese monk mm-hmm. and learning mindfulness meditation uh-huh. i wanted to share that and so that's the first book is uh the heart of china is a series and this book is called how mindfulness changed my life and so this is the first in in the series uh-huh. and then i want to continue the series by writing more about the i ching the uh-huh. i ching and the dao and things like that which are uh-huh. so strongly connected with universal thought processes uh-huh Oh, that's interesting. Really, really interesting. Yes. So, um I know you had mentioned and we were talking about this before, but how going to another country kind of it, it doesn't kind of, but it does. It really expands, right? Your way of thinking mm-hmm. and and um experience especially when you experience it as living there, right? It it mm-hmm. really broadens your horizon, I guess I could say. Is that correct? Right. definitely and i think you also experienced that too 
Yes. Uh, for me, it was going over. I always have had a, a, a passion for languages and loving uh -huh. languages ever since I was a little kid. And I started right. taking French in uh, junior high. And then when I got into high school, I took French, Spanish and German all at the same time. I couldn't mm -hmm. pass Algebra 1A, but I made I yes. did great with all three of those languages at once. And then I even went across the street to the university here at Colorado State University. Uh -huh. And I, I sat in on Russian classes in the evening uh -huh. and I was running around with with uh, with deaf friends. And so I was learning sign language. So that was all in my high school years. So I have this wow. passion for languages. Yes. The opportunity came up for me to learn Chinese. I wasn't looking to learn it, but I went to uh -huh. a restaurant in Dallas, Texas, when I was living there to uh -huh. a Taiwanese restaurant. Uh -huh. And one thing led to another, I bought a book and I started to learn. And then, uh, like I said, just following that, so that progression fell into place, I guess. Yes. Right. And so I ended up in Taiwan uh -huh. And it was a two week vacation. I quit my job in San Francisco working for a, a hotel uh -huh. uh, as a concierge and went to Taiwan for a two week vacation. And through it all, I ended up staying in Taiwan, China for 20 years. So uh -huh. my whole life was changed. I, I just uh, am no longer the same person. And I'm sometimes afraid to even think who I would be had I not gone. E exactly. Yes, it does change I your life. You know, I think that you touched upon something and I actually did the same thing. I studied French when I was in junior high. That's when I began studying it. And then in high school, I, I didn't go, you, you really had the, I would consider them the more difficult languages, Russian and Chinese, but I did French and Spanish. And then eventually when I got to college, actually my major, I, I was intending to be a linguist, but when you get when you you know study the languages you also study the culture because it's mm -hmm. so necessary to understand that language so i think mm -hmm. that probably really opened up you know being able to experience all the all the different cultures and a different way mm -hmm. of life so i mentioned yes i did live in italy for quite some time and uh you know even though my family is italian living in Italy and it is a different thing than living here. So it really did give me a different perspective. But, you know, I know when I, for instance, I was in Australia for a little bit of time and it it's, it's a totally different, you know, it's so far away, <laughs> totally different. And I imagine China too, it's totally, it's a lot different than, you know, the European way of thinking. Oh, yeah. So I imagine that's really, you know, definitely a lot, a lot different, but all in all, it, it just expands our mindset and it really opens mm. us up to many, many, you know, to many different things. And you're absolutely right. I don't know, you know, I always think of, wow, if I didn't do that, if I hadn't lived in Europe for all those years, I would just be a totally different person. And, right. you know, all the things, right, that you appreciate and and right. uh, that you're more aware of, um, mm -hmm. you get to experience by doing that. Wow. So in the heart of China, you released that in March. Um, where can people find that? It's available on Amazon. Okay. It's, and I uh, oh, go ahead. No, go digital, ahead. Digital and paperback. Okay. And you mentioned something about some other books. Do you have anything coming out? Oh, there you go. This yes. Is, the this is it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it really brings out and mindfulness is a really important um, is is very important. I know that's been brought out a lot. So is that something I guess that's part of the Chinese culture? Mindfulness. Well, the Chinese culture is 
the foundation, the foundational philosophies of the Chinese culture are uh, Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. Uh -huh. And so those three philosophies are very harmonious. They work well together. The Buddhism piece is, is the mindfulness and the meditation. And so that helps us to better deal with ourselves. Right. The Taoist piece helps us to better understand the universe and the world around us. And the Confucian piece helps us to better interact in society and be a, be a better person within our social spheres. Oh, okay. So that's sort of how that all works. And then I learned Buddhism through, through Chinese. Uh -huh. And then that's sort of because my Buddhist teacher in Taiwan, he also would bring a lot of Taoist thought into and uh -huh. some Confucianism because it's so much a part of the culture. Yes. When you were talking about, you know, how living in that culture changes our viewpoints. For instance, yes. the Chinese are very, are very like, they, they practice filial, filial piety. I'm not sure how you say it really actually. So what is that? <laughs> Tell us what that is. Taking care of your, of your, your parents, oh. your elders. Yes. And so that's something that I, saw my friends doing for their parents. And uh -huh. so now I am taking care of my 96 year old mother. I'm living with her and helping her out. Uh -huh. And so it's something that a lot of people don't quite understand in our culture because right. well, why, you know, why do you do that? Why not? And I'm sure that in Italy, it's very similar to that. It's that, yes. that tighter family thing, but yes, yes. in America, we have very loose yes. family relations. And that yes. I think, you know, says a lot for who we are, which is yes. not a good thing, but no. you know, yes. it, it's, uh, it's something that living in that culture, you know, people will, will, will say that. And I say, I learned it from the Chinese. Yes, yes, it is. It is. It's a it's definitely I I have heard that that they do that. And it's a it's definitely a wonderful thing that they respect their elders in that in that way so much that they do um, that they do that. And, you know, I don't even think it would be really something you have to explain why you do that. It's it's just showing respect so. for elders, really. But it yeah. is a nice part of the Chinese culture and a nice takeaway, you know, from the Chinese mm. culture that, yes, I yeah. think um, it would be a good thing here, too, if pe more people, more and more people um, viewed it that way. So that's great. So yeah. you, what I was starting to ask too is, so I know it sounds like you're going to be doing, cause you, I know you were telling us that this has become your passion, this different philosophies. You do you have another book on the table yet or work on working on? Yeah, I do actually have a few books, but one, one of my plans is to, uh, to do more writing about the, 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 the I Ching, the I Ching, uh -huh. And uh, about I have there is some of that in this book. I did uh -huh. bring that aspect in the balancing of the yin yang, the two elements, right? Uh, and and how to sort of find balance and be able to be aware of things and how we can manipulate or or move through situations. For instance, the 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 Chinese philosopher uh, Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao, uh -huh. he says that we should all study and emulate water because water is the most is the most um, adaptable and the most flexible of all elements because uh -huh. it moves within its environment, but it doesn't destroy the environment. It slowly changes it. And it also just adapts to moves around and it doesn't really fight. So that's something that that's he true. compares to like 
a, a, a boulder rolling down the mountainside. It's going to yeah. destroy everything in its way. Whereas water rolling down the mountain or going down it. the mountain, it actually nourishes and nurtures the environment. So exactly. that's that's an aspect of how bringing that yin yang concept into into play. It uh -huh. it's it's being able to balance these these different elements. Wow. And so that's something that I really want to. Uh, do more writing about uh -huh. uh, that is the foundational philosophy of Chinese culture. And that was written about 5,000 years ago. Uh -huh. Nobody really knows who wrote it, mm -hmm. but as I mentioned earlier, it precedes the Chinese writing system. And so right. the writing system was strongly influenced by that. And it's really interesting because I teach Chinese too. I teach Mandarin. So oh, well. I, I love to use these examples, but within the language, there's a lot of, there's a lot of two character uh, concepts that are made up of opposites. Uh -huh. So for example, you're going to have, like, we would understand the concept of black and white, right? You've right. got these two opposites and we just think of it as a literal, you know, black and white TV right. or something like that. Right, right. But in, in Chinese, they have, for example, uh, big, little, the two characters together. Right. And it means size, like what size of shoe do you wear? What's your big, little? Uh, right. So there's a lot of concepts created through opposites. And then there's another one that, that I like to use as an example is the is the um, open close, which could also mean uh, turn on, turn off. And so that's a light switch or a switch right. to turn something on or turn it off. Uh -huh. So there's a lot of there's a lot of places where the 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 yin yang concept has actually influenced the Chinese language over millennia. Uh huh. Huh. Really, really interesting. Very, very interesting. Todd, thank you so much for being here. And people can find your book on In the Heart of China Amazon. on Amazon and Kindle, I guess, right? Right. Yeah. And do you have a website? Can people find you? Um, with you or I presently don't have a website that I consider to be a website, uh -huh. but they can find me at theheartofchina.com, I think. <laughs> and you're on LinkedIn and Twitter, I know. I'm on that, LinkedIn. Right? I'm not really on Twitter, and I'm oh, that's okay. probably the best place to find me. Todd oh, Cornell okay. Okay, great. All right, great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. And um, you know, hopefully we'll look forward to hearing about some other books in the future. Thank you. And much Thank success you, with your with your consulting. Thanks again, Todd. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Maria Liberati Show. And thanks, as always, to my producer, Britton Roselle, and this week's special guest, Todd Cornell. And as always, you can find me at marialiberati.com, on Twitter at Maria Liberati, on Facebook at Chef Maria Liberati, and let's see, on LinkedIn at M Liberati and on Instagram at Maria Liberati. And you can find all of my books in the Basic Art of Italian Cooking series on marialiberati.com and artoflivingprimamedia.com and anywhere books are sold online. And don't forget my latest book, The Basic Art of Italian Cooking Diaries. You know, it's a memoir about my life in Italy and it will be a series. So this first series I'm calling Seasons. And again, it's called The Basic Art of Italian Cooking Diaries, subtitled Seasons. And it's divided into seasons. And it's actually a diary 
um, that I kept while I was living in Italy and it has seasonal recipes and the chapters are divided into seasons so of course there are recipes but it's it's uh, like a diary and it's my memoir so you can find that as I said anywhere books are sold actually right now it was just released on Amazon and Kindle and we will be releasing it um, at other stores but right now you can only get it on amazon and kindle the basic art of italian cooking diaries seasons and don't forget my channel on roku the basic art of italian cooking by maria liberati you can also go there you can also go to vimeo online and go to the maria liberati channel and my youtube channel the Marie Liberati channel. Until next time, peace, love, and pasta.